1: Welcome back to the second hour of the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France. I'm having fun. I always have fun when I'm here, especially when I got the great uh, Andrew on the wheels. Uh, Sometimes it's Derek as well. Derek is outstanding as well. They got a good crew here. Um, So surprisingly, um, and it's not surprising to me over the last several years because I follow these issues a lot when it comes to discrimination of certain groups, how certain groups are elevated and certain groups are not. The Department of Justice uh, has sued Yale University for racial discrimination against Asians and whites in their admissions process. Um, The Justice Department finds Yale illegally discriminates against Asians and whites in undergraduate admissions in violation of federal civil rights laws. So I'm reading the complaint from the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice today notified Yale University in its findings that Yale illegally discriminates against Asian American and white applicants in its undergraduate admissions process in violation of Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The findings are the result of a two-year investigation in response to a complaint by Asian American groups who, incidentally, they sued Harvard as well for the same thing um, a couple years ago. There is no such thing as a nice form of race discrimination, said Assistant Attorney General Eric Drebrand for the Civil Rights Division. Quote, unlawfully dividing Americans into racial and ethnic blocks, foster stereotypes, bitterness and division. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. If they get rid of racial stereotypes, bitterness and division and dividing Americans into groups, who will be left to vote Democrat? You ain't black. <laughs> I, I have, <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what they're going to do. They can't survive unless people are divided into racial groups and bitterness uh, and division is <laughs> fostered. We got a, a a freelance writer for he has written actually for Wall Street Journal uh, and other publications. He knows the academic world very well. Uh, his name is Dion Pierre, and he will shed light on this. He's also the author of Neo Segregation at Yale. How are you, sir?
2: Hi I'm well thank you for having me on
1: absolutely just a second time uh, at least your second time on with me um we you interviewed with uh, us on the Todd allen show I believe it was late last year and when I heard about this I immediately jumped out and, and said I, I gotta reach out to uh, to Dion and talk about this um this doesn't surprise you because you've been an observer of these issues for so many so many years so what is your take on? The admissions process used by these big Ivy League schools because they always seem to point back to how they discriminate uh, against Asians.
2: Right, right. Well, it's just obviously been the case for many years that uh, private Ivy League and other elite colleges discriminate against Asians. For example, Thomas Espenshade and Alexandra Bradford, in their book uh, No Longer Separate, Not Yet Equal, found that the odds of Asians being admitted to elite private colleges is 16 times higher than for blacks, whites, and Latinos. And, of course, a lot of the critics in the DOJ's investigation uh, would have you believe that the DOJ is leveraging Asians to maintain so-called white privilege, but uh, Espin Shade and Radford found, for example, that an Asian applicant scoring a 1,500 on the SAT has the same chance of being admitted to a private college as a white student with a score of 1,350. Uh, about 30% of Asians who score in the highest SAT range are admitted to elite colleges generally, compared to 77% of Blacks, 48% of Hispanics, and 40% of whites. So this this is a problem that exists throughout higher education. When you look also, yeah. for example, at uh, public colleges or private colleges that don't consider race in admissions, the number of Asian students uh, composing the student body and that enroll. Overall, every year is much higher. So Caltech, for example, doesn't consider race in its admissions, and Asians there are 40% of the student body. This is also the case at UC Berkeley, UCLA, San Diego, Davis, and Irvine. And all of these colleges admit students under the guidelines of Proposition 209, which was passed in 1996 and forbids the use of racial preferences in college admissions. So it's pretty clear that schools that aggressively use racial preferences have way less Asian students than schools who don't.
1: And and I read somewhere a while back that the number of Asian applicants has been steadily rising over, say, the past decade, but the admissions of Asians in many of these schools has remained flat. Am I correct on that?
2: Right, right, right. So despite that, Asians make up about 27 percent of applicants applying to Elite schools and 45% of applicants scoring in the highest SAT range overall. the percentage at Ivy League colleges hovers around maybe 14 to 20%. But uh, colleges are likely, elite colleges are likely increasing the number of Asian students admitted and enrolled to their schools because they're in a time period where their affirmative action policies are being scrutinized. So, for example, in the in the 80s, the late 80s, the Department of Education. Office of Civil Rights investigated uh, Harvard, uh, Yale, and a few other schools for their affirmative action policies, and so Harvard responded by increasing its number of Asian students from about 4 to 10% to about 20% in 1993, a huge increase, but as soon as the investigation was over, the number of Asian students enrolled fell from that 20% figure to right around 14 to 16% were at hovered until 2011. So what you'll likely see is that although the number of Asian students rolling at these schools like Yale and Harvard are increasing in the interim, they're likely to decrease again once the investigations are over, whatever happens in the court, for example, if they're absolved of any wrongdoing, uh, and the status quo will remain. So a lot of people have commented on how similar are these Uh, Asian quotas to the Jewish quotas of the early 20th century, and back then uh, admission officials at elite colleges wanted to limit the number of Jewish students admitted, so they came up with the idea that colleges needed geographical diversity, that if you had football players from Wisconsin or someone from Seattle, they're... Uh, admission to the university would be more beneficial to its culture than, say, a really smart Jewish kid from Brooklyn who scored really well on the SATs and had superior academic credentials. So there is precedent to this kind of thing, and it, it goes back many, many years in our history.
1: Dion Pierre is our guest, a freelance writer. has written for The Wall Street Journal, uh, among others. Uh, this is what I find interesting when this happens. The social justice warriors who are from the Northeast, they're academic liberals, as we know, they don't seem to have a problem with this. And, and I find it shocking. So while they love to push uh, back on uh, the larger society and the values of the country, they practice the very thing that they claim to be against. And I find this just utterly disturbing that they're not called out on it by particularly in the mainstream press.
2: Uh, they're they're not called out on it, and that's because uh colleges have basically created uh, the, uh, uh, re- at least not created, but rather used the diversity rationale to defend these programs. That was an idea that came out of the Regents of the University of California versus Bakke Supreme Court and case in 1998. Alan Bakke sued sued the University of California Medical School for denying him admission. Uh, in favor of candidates that were way less credentialed than he was. And although the Supreme Court reversed UC Davis's decision that, to deny him from medical school and to admit him, it also ruled that diversity was a beneficial factor in the education of students and should be considered in admissions. So social justice warriors will say, for example, that this is okay, uh, uh, deciding admissions on the basis of race is acceptable because diversity is a social good, and students in general learn from having different perspectives from African Americans, Latinos, whites, all in one setting. Uh, the other idea for this is that these programs somehow uh, uh, prevent or uh, compensate for past discrimination. That's another idea. But I guess you know what's ironic in all this is that if more Asians were admitted to Ivy League colleges, you would actually see fewer white legacy white students who are white students who are from the upper middle class. And so universities by essentially uh, stuffing Asian students into a lid and clamping uh, stuffing Asian students into a hole and clamping a lid over it, essentially uh, reinforce what students would call white privilege or rather the privilege of the white upper middle class. So
1: you know, yeah. so, and, and I, and I want to maybe on the other side, we got about less than a minute left. I want to talk about there's been more backlash in academia, at least in admissions processes of uh, elite colleges, as well as some elite prep schools. And it, again, it goes back to Asian students. I want to talk about on the other side, the case in New York from a couple of years ago uh, at the Stuyvesant School. I'm sure you're familiar with that case.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
1: so i definitely i want to dig into that on the other side we're on with dion pierre uh, talking about uh institutional racism against asians and some whites uh an elite college level and prep school level i am khalid namar this is the bob france authority stick around we got more
0: Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority.
1: 25 minutes past the hour. You're back on the Bob France Authority with Khalid Namar sitting in for Bob France today. Having a great discussion with Dion Pierre, freelance writer and author of Neosegregation at Yale. Uh, on the educational system and its discriminatory practices. Um, Dion, you still there? Yes, I'm here. All right. Good. Um, we are talking about the discriminatory, pr- discriminatory practices of Yale, who's being sued by the Department of Justice for discriminating against Asians and whites in their admissions process in violation of the uh, Civil Rights Act. There was a case... <clears throat> That caught my attention a couple years ago at the Stuyvesant School, which is an elite prep school in New York. And it's a merit-based admissions process. And out of the kids who are admitted, it, it, it was an order of performance on, on, on the test. And I believe it was Asians who were first, whites, Hispanics, and then blacks. However, mm-hmm. they were sued, I believe, by the NAACP, if I'm not mistaken, because they said the test was, of course, uh, racially biased and so forth and so on. And it was a, a, a big issue because so many Asian kids were getting in. It was a merit-based uh, a test. What do you know about this case?
2: Uh, I know that uh, there was a big push in New York City by the de Blasio administration to end all forms of standardized testing, which uh, is how students were admitted to these elite high schools, such as Stuyvesant and there are a few others in, in New York City. Um, but uh, basically, you know, the research on this has been done. Uh, these standardized test scores are a good indicator of how students will perform Uh, both at at, a high school to which they're admitted and a college to which they're admitted, the University of California uh, system basically just ran its own study to determine the the predictive power of standardized tests in college performance. And they found that test scores were actually a better predictor than GPA or other factors. And so what you're seeing in New York City, essentially, is an effort to uh, reduce or eliminate standards to create the illusion of racial parity. And uh, it's going to have the effect of harming working-class Asian students the most, since they're the demographic that is most likely to get into these schools. And the interesting thing here is that people are calling it racist, but these schools are predominantly Asian. They're not predominantly white. Uh, So... The efforts to eliminate these tests are futile and will have the effect of creating the conditions for what I described in neo segregation at Yale, which is what happens when schools begin to eliminate standards. Uh, students who are admitted to special programs uh, feel isolated intellectually, socially, and they begin to create all kinds of havoc and trouble on campus to kind of compensate for not doing as well as other students.
1: And I was, I feel that it's, it's, it's to me embarrassing uh, to have them sue on a merit based test because black kids unfortunately aren't performing. Uh, When I think from what I read, the school offered tutoring um, for kids to bring up their test scores. And I think more Hispanic students took advantage of the tutoring than black kids did Uh, at this particular uh, school. And it seems to be, instead of trying to lift the bottom up, they want to knock the top down. And I think it always goes back to Asian kids. If they want to tell you it's racist and it's pro-white, but the whites aren't performing the best on these test scores in a lot of these instances. Am I correct?
2: Right, right. Whites aren't. And so what uh, members of the black left will say is that Asians are becoming the new whites that Asians uh, assimilate to aspects of white culture that are racist in nature and therefore benefiting from white privilege. So a whole interesting rationale has to be cooked up by the opponents of standardized tests to get around confronting the achievement gap between the races. And that's a very, very sensitive topic, of course, but we end up uh, sort of... uh, engaging in intellectual fantasies that we attempt to avoid rather than confront that reality.
1: What has always bothered me is this notion that black kids need to have a black teacher when most Asian kids overwhelmingly don't have Asian teachers in this country. Uh, Right, right. You need good teachers. You don't necessarily have to have a teacher that looks like you. Uh, We have like less than a minute left. Where can people find your writing? Because I'm a big fan of your writings, as you know. Where can people find your writings?
2: Thank you. Uh, You can find Neosegregation at Yale and the entirety of the Separate But Equal Again study at naf.org that's published by the National Association of Scholars. You can also find some of my writing at justthenews.com. Occasionally, I'll write for National Review, The Daily Caller, or The Daily Signal, and uh, I'm finding other places to publish right now since I We've got to keep uh, the bylines pumping out in this economy, yes. and uh, that's where you can find me. Yep. I would also, if people are more interested in this subject of racial preferences, I would check out uh, Epson and Radford's book on racial preferences. Uh, not yet, not uh, no longer separate, not yet equal. And I would also check out uh, Diversity by Peter Wood. He's the president of the National Association of Scholars, and he's written extensively on this issue. Yeah.
1: Dion Pierre has been our guest. You're outstanding, as always. We're going to definitely be talking again. You're going you're gonna to be my go-to guy on these subjects, so we'll be talking a lot more in the future.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. All
1: right. Dion Pierre, outstanding. It's been fun, and it's been flying by. Oh, my God. I could do two more hours of this. Easy. But unfortunately, we are down to 1031 break and I will be back. I'm Khalid Namar on the Bob France Authority. We're going to have Tiffany Broadbent coming up talking about the 1619 Project and the Ohio School Board. That'll be interesting. Stick around.
0: 5
1: FM We're back live on the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namarin for Bob France. Um, those of you who may not have found or heard about the Ohio State School Board passed a resolution which will include um, things like uh, white supremacy some of the 1619 project uh, material in the curriculum for Ohio schools so this resolution was passed a couple weeks ago I interviewed on my other show the Todd Allen show on Sunday nights here on 1420 interviewed uh, Lisa Woods from the state school board and we talked about the issue and um, it's kind of disturbing what is going to be taught in the classrooms and uh, there's a letter that was written by uh, a woman named Tiffany Broadbent who had ran for Beachwood public schools, very passionate about education, a former teacher herself. I'm going to read a portion of her letter and it says, uh, regarding the resolution to condemn racism and to advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students and students of color. While it remains to be seen what actions and curriculum changes may result from this endeavor, the political motivation evident in this resolution is deeply disturbing and should be put, should put all Ohio parents on alert we're starting on a path that will be dangerous to our students' emotional well-being as well as their moral and civic education. The resolution rightly points out that, quote, racism, bigotry, and hatred have no place in Ohio's curriculum. On that, we can all firmly agree. However, a few sentences later, we see the first of several mentions of white supremacy and white privilege in this resolution culminating with the recommendation Ohio's curriculum be reviewed in order to ensure that America's white supremacy is accurately addressed this casual assumption that America is a white supremacist country is wholly alarming. It is not only the language of the resolution that is disturbing, but it is also the attitude of some of the board members who seem to be welcoming this interpretation. At the July 14th SBOE meeting, some members showed in shocking, a shocking disregard for educational and intellectual standards by defending the widely debunked 1619 project as an appropriate resource to be included on the ODE website. This body of pseudo-historical writings is a popular tool among those who actively seek to tear down our country. Uh, and she goes on to say, uh, the tone of this resolution, the defense of the 1619 project as a valid educational resource and the divisive ideology displayed by some board members begs two questions. If the goal is to eradicate racism, bigotry and hatred from our schools, why is the board indulging in racist language sources and ideology? More important, it is our board is our board prepared to keep our children's education and well-being as its primary focus, or were they bent to the force of destructive and academically unfounded political trends? Tiffany Broadbent. I happen to have Tiffany Broadbent on the line. She is a friend, dear friend, and the best decision Jonathan Broadbent's ever made in his life. How are you, Tiff?
3: (laughs) I'm great. How are you, Khalid? I love your introduction, by the way. (laughs) Thank
1: you. (laughs) I am so so happy to have you on because you and I've talked about these issues for a little bit. Now you're a former teacher yourself, a yeah. uh, history teacher, yeah. I believe. And, and
3: uh, social studies in English social yeah. studies yeah. English,
1: and in the South, no less. Um, mm-hmm. So now you come up to Ohio and you're hearing this stuff. So what was your, what was your first reaction when you heard about this?
3: Uh, I was alarmed. First of all, um, because I've seen, firsthand, well, a lot of different things, you know, obviously being an an English teacher in the South uh, who was called that Yankee teacher. Literally, that's what I was called in that school. uh, I've seen many different shades of racism. Um, I realize that there's a big push to redefine it right now. I'm not really in favor of that. But when I saw this, you know, coming up in Ohio, it made me reflect back on a lot of the I think misguided attempts to mitigate racism that I've seen in schools that really bothered me. And I don't want to see this happening in our public schools here. Um, if you'll indulge me yes. to give you an example,
1: sure.
3: um, I've seen children, you know, who are friends, um, you know, lifelong friends in our community in Beechwood. here, we have this, but I've seen it in other communities as well. Children of different races who grow up together and they learn all those lessons about friendship and humanity and patience and who they are from spending time together, which, you know, you just can't replace that in a child's life. And when they learn these lessons from people who are, who don't look like them, people of other races, you know, there's something really important that sinks down into them as human beings, which is, you know, this, this gut awareness that what's important is who you are literally on the inside, right? It seems like such a simple concept, but it needs to be repeated, especially now so when you start to tell children who already have these relationships, who already, you know, live in communities where they sleep over each other's houses and ride bikes together and they know each other's parents and their teachers are maybe not the same race that they are. And when you inject on top of that existing, those existing relationships, the idea um, that, you know, you live in a, in a country that is divided by race, you live in a country where people who are white, let's say, you know, they may seem like your friends, but they're not. Right. They are those parents who had you over for dinner or took you to the park or whatever. You know, they were being nice to you, but really deep down, you know, they have this difference of feeling than you do. Um, It tears children apart. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So in this letter that I wrote and shared with you, one thing that worries me when I see this type of resolution where they they give us this background assumption that America is filled with white supremacy and um, and racism uh, to me, I think of those children who are going to be crushed by that, right, crushed by that feeling that, you know, not only is this one child who's maybe my best friend, maybe I'm black and this child's white, not only is this child not who we seem to be or his parents or my neighbors, but that my judgment about, what, you know, who to trust and who's a good human being can't be trusted either. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Um, it, what so it does is it's going to feel a lot of guilt as well.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've seen children, you know, I saw an example, and this is just one example, where there were um, there were three boys, you know, middle school age boys who were friends. Um, two of them were black and one of them was white and they were best friends. They did everything together in their school. And they uh, I, you've probably heard that, you know, a lot of middle school kids right now call each other boys. Yes. Right. So yes. this comes from the Internet. So they have no idea that the term boy as in B-O-Y has this connotation from way back in America mm-hmm. where people used to use that as a derogatory term. So they're running around and they're calling each other this, and they have this game where they go and flick each other on the back of the neck and they say, got you, boy, you know. And no idea that anyone would interpret this differently. And then and they all do it to each other and they think it's funny. Now, of course, in school we don't want them flicking each other on the neck, but it's age-appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. The administrator comes in and tells the two um, African American students in this scenario—that this this white kid who's saying this is being a racist. He's hitting you on the neck. He's pushing you down. He's calling you what they used to call slaves. And <laughs> these children are devastated because they have no idea this was even anything anybody thought about. And all of a sudden, there, i mean, I've seen this literally with my own eyes. They're confronted with this idea of betrayal. And we've put all these old connotations and ideas onto these kids. I'm terrified that this is going to happen.
2: Yeah.
3: And not only, I mean, there are other other aspects to it as well. But not only does that destroy that relationship in the moment, and luckily, um, I was able to help this teacher, another teacher involved in this scenario, repair that relationship um, and get that administrator uh, <laughs> to yes. stop saying things like that. But um, but also. You know, if you want to tell, my, let's say, my kids that they're racist because they're white, they're not going to believe you because they know what's in their hearts and we know what's in their hearts. After a while, it might start to sink in. But what's going to happen is it's going to divide those rela- the possibility for those relationships. So one of the things that, you know, my children know in their hearts is that they just, they love people, you know, for childish reasons, as they should. We both like Pokemon or we like to play soccer or whatever. And they build relationships based on that. But if you take that away from them, and when they're older and someone comes to them and says, you know, there are these big differences between the races. These are better than those. And, you know, you shouldn't be part of that. If they've not had those relationships, you know, it, helping form who they are, they're not going to have that argument to fall back on. They're not going to say, no, you're wrong. I know in my heart because I've lived this way. I've lived with other people and I've, I've loved other people. So we're, we're dividing. We're putting this division unnaturally between our children. And it's gonna have not only effects right now, but way down the road. Absolutely. And that's just the emotional part of it. Yeah. That's just the emotional part. Yeah. There are plenty of others as well.
1: Well yeah, there's there's the emotional part of it. There's the historical lack of okay. perspective that it's gonna be taught to kids and the resentment as that's gonna build based on this lack of, of of accurate information or lack of perspective, shall I say, is going to lead to, it. It's going to lead to what's happening now. You have these, I'll call them morons, out here tearing down statues, uh, yeah. e- even of abolitionists. <laughs> they're just tearing down statues <laughs> because it's a statue. Uh, Frederick Douglass yeah. Yeah. has a statue torn Don't down. Even. Uh, don't I even. Yeah, don't. I know. No. <laughs> I know how you feel about Frederick <laughs> you know. Douglass as well. And and actually, you just gave me an idea because my cousin, K. Carl Smith, yeah. is one of the premier experts on Frederick Douglass in the entire country. Yeah. And I have to I have to probably get him on to, uh, to, to talk about this soon. Uh, the, uh, a prominent Please abolitionist do. in Philadelphia had his statue torn down uh, yeah. because of these people who have been taught. uh what I don't know, but they have been given the right information, so they're acting out on what they think they know and what they believe, right. and it's been totally, for lack of a better term, uh, history. History has been bastardized. So you are going to have more Absolutely. of this if you have this type of curriculum taught. And what we're trying to do with the American Training Project, Dan Messina, and myself, is give people a larger right. p- picture and context of history. And we're going to be doing some videos very soon on this topic, oh, uh, uh, on lots of Sorry. different topics. And with your help, we're going to get out here and try to change some minds so we'll have fewer people. we got a, we got a couple minutes left. Uh, you ran for a beach with school board. Are you going to make another run? Because I hope you do.
3: <laughs> I hear that a lot. Um, I'm not sure, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I do want our system to be better, you know, and I wasn't. So much upset that i wasn't on the school board i was upset that our whole school board has the same viewpoint on everything yes right um i loved running i loved talking to people in the community and i definitely am keeping that door open please do but even for this year though i actually <laughs> i took my kids out of school mm-hmm. um i'm homeschooling Good. and uh it's sad to me we just bought a house you know we love beachwood we love our community we'd love to be you know taking advantage of the system we're contributing to, but I don't feel comfortable with it right now. Um, There are a couple of, I don't know if we have time, there are a couple of things I think would be really important to put back into public schools that might help with this. 20
1: seconds. Maybe
3: we save that for the next show. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bring back, you know, the the idea that the purpose of education is imparting the tools of learning, Mm -hmm. the pursuit of truth and further understanding and the pursuit of wisdom, is gone now from most of our curriculum. I think our children at a young age, probably fifth grade, need to start formal logic and debate so they know how to guard against people who are trying to manipulate them. They know how to evaluate an idea and to connect them to the parts of them that aren't just emotion. That's all we see now with the statues and all of that. It's emotion Mm -hmm. and emotion trying to turn into action. But they're missing these pieces of themselves because we've given up in public education on really instructing the whole human being, which includes Great. figuring out which parts of your emotion and which other parts there are in Great. you and using those as well.
1: So, Tiffany, I love you. Love Jonathan as well. You too. And I hope to <laughs> see you all soon. I'll be talking to Jonathan real soon about some plans we got. Thanks for joining me. Okay. We've, we've been wanting to do this for a while. I appreciate it. And I'm going to keep your, your message out there.
3: Absolutely. Thank you,
1: Khalid. All right. Bye-bye. Tiffany Broadbent was our guest, former Beachwood School Board candidate. We'll be back on our final segment and your calls on the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar. Let's take it home. Don't take
2: trouble.
0: Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420,
1: The Answer. We're back live on the Bob France Authority with a final segment. Man, this goes so fast. Wow. Uh, I'm Khalid Namar. And let's take a call. We haven't taken a call all day. Uh, Let's go to Chardon. John, how you doing, John?
2: Hey, morning, Khalid.
1: Thanks for waiting patiently. How you doing? What's on your mind?
2: Yeah. So, well, you know, I want to go back to your conversation about Bill Gates. Yes. And I'm thinking about George Orwell when in 1948, he wrote 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And boy, was he a great predictor of the future. Yes. And we're looking at Bill Gates. He he wants to be big, big brother, you know, uh, as a big brother in the book 1984. Yes. He wants to be up there controlling everybody and pulling all the strings. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, he's already put two billion into education, and, and his third his this is now his third act: its vaccination, vaccination, population control effort, uh, Common Core, uh, as well as is money into other institutions. He's put into regarding education. So when you have that much money, more money than small countries, you can do a lot of good, but you can also do a lot of a lot of a lot of bad, and you can do a lot of manipulation. You can buy a lot of politicians, and you can influence a lot of agendas. So this is what he's for doing, sure. and this guy yeah. is 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 pretty frightening yeah uh, his, sure his, his dad was a big planned parenthood uh, uh activist uh which is oh, where probably. where he got his uh his influence from
2: yeah yeah well you get well you had some really good insights and background on him I appreciate it
1: thank you so much I appreciate it thanks for listening
2: okay Kaleem.
1: You yeah know, I'll say this when you get a certain age and when you start to see things change, you start, start to see things that people have talked about 20, 30 years ago and you start to see it happening. You just go, wow. So at my age, you know, I'm getting up there a little bit and I, I'm starting to get a perspective that is just, uh, it's amazing on things uh, that you've seen over the years. What is happening to our political system right now? Our cities are, are, are just being destroyed. People are fleeing our cities. I just found out about Silicon Valley. Now that people have figured out they could, work from anywhere they're leaving Silicon Valley San Francisco has been a cesspool anyway for a long time and now the wealthy people are leaving Um, Portland had another riot last night. Rioting in Portland is now basically just a sport. It might as well replace uh, soccer and baseball because they riot every night. They have nothing else to do except tear down the city and the governor has not called in the National Guard as of yet and, and probably won't So they deserve what they get. Uh, Chicago is becoming unlivable uh, for many people. Uh, They're trying to do this to every major city. New York, Manhattan is dying. The left is bad, folks. The left is bad. They're dangerous. They can only destroy. They can't create anything. They can only tear down stuff. And we have a, a former governor of Ohio endorsing the left and John Kasich. Oh, boy, this is painful. Um, let's go to one more call. Ryan in Norwalk. How you doing? All right. How are you? I'm well, what's on your mind?
4: Hey, hey, yesterday afternoon, as I was flipping through my Facebook, I was looking for some stuff on marketplace and noticed that all of a sudden my account was deleted. Mm -hmm. Well, a little bit of history with me. I'm running for state Senate of the 13th district in 2022. Um, so we've got a two year plan for that. And I'm also the president of the state of Ohio for the Ohio Oath Keepers.
1: Um, oh, the and I heard the about your site being shut down.
4: Everything got shut down. So I started calling all my guys this morning, my leaders, and all of their pages have been shut down. Wow. So not only did they eliminate our pages, they eliminated all of our personal pages. Uh, they eliminated my Senate pages. Um, and so here we are with no contact out out in the world anymore um, because they, they've completely eliminated our, our voice. And this is what they've done. So I got an email at 1.30 this morning from our founder, Stuart Rhodes, explaining that all of the pages, even Senate candidates out of Iowa, uh, all over, if you're a conservative group, if you're a three percenter, if you're an oath keeper, um, any Second Amendment groups, if they were able to get a hold of you, they shut your sights down. So we have no communication back and forth. And this is, this is the last attack on the conservative wow. group, wow. the law abiding people in order to silence us for this wow. next election.
1: Wow. Thanks for calling. Thanks for letting us know about that, Ryan. Uh, and I'm sure it's a coincidence though. <laughs> I'm sure it was just, it's just something that happened. Uh, wow. Wow. This, this is incredible. Um, what is going on, people whose sites are being shut down, pages being taken down. This has been happening to members of uh, of the Senate even. I think they've uh, gone after people like Jim Jordan and some other uh, members of the Freedom Caucus have had their uh, social media pages and and messages stifled. Um, this is pretty disturbing stuff. But again, this is what we are we're up against. The left, they are totalitarians at their core, and people don't see it. Some people on the left actually see it. Uh, I knew we were in trouble when they got rid of Uncle Ben. I knew when Uncle Ben they got rid of him, that the rest of us were in trouble. That's the stuff they think is uh, these. These people are amazing. So once again, the time has gone so fast. Uh, thanks to my guests today: Steve Kraus, who was in the house; Tiffany Broadbent; uh, Dion J. Pierre; and Dr. Scott Perlman. Excellent show. Had a packed show. Thanks to Andrew on the Wheels of Steel great music man appreciate you no problem and I hope to be back soon here on the Bob France Authority um, just check me out at Khalid Namar on Twitter and Khalid Namar on Facebook follow me please check me out on Sunday nights on the Todd Allen show thanks for joining us
2: enjoy the silence